I think the biggest like standout moment for me was definitely the America trip. Yeah. Because it wasn't really a moment, it was like two and a half weeks in which we interviewed a crap ton of amazing guests. Mm. I tell you what was an was a real highlight for me when I interviewed you the day that Putin invaded Ukraine. Mm, we did that in February, I've forgotten about that, yeah. And by the way, we raised uh, over 55,000 pounds for charities that work in Ukraine. People, enough smart people, or smarter than us people at least, are asking questions like, well, what is the positive vision for people like us? Why should anybody j join our tribe, whatever that tribe is, right? We've spent quite a lot of time opposing things, mm -hmm. saying, well, that's wrong and that's stupid and that's... An... But, but why, what, what do we have to offer the world? What, what does our way of thinking, what, does, what do the questions we ask have to add to the conversation? Yeah, because it's not enough to be against something. Yeah. You can't base an identity on being anti-something. I think for the foreseeable future, I feel that it's our job to stay and it's our job to fight. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantin Kissin. And this is a show for you if you want interesting, oh, sorry. We don't know what the show is about. <laughs> and this is the show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. We have neither for you today because it's just me and Francis talking about the year that's just been and the year that's coming up. So Francis, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show to you too. It's been a long and interesting year. <laughs> yes. Uh, huge for us in some ways, also quite difficult in other ways. Absolutely. It has been a year of contrast. It's been a year of ups and downs, of changes, of incredible experiences. It's had it all really. Well, the, the, I think the biggest like standout moment for me was definitely the America trip. Yeah. Because it wasn't really a moment, it was like two and a half weeks in which we interviewed a crap ton of amazing guests. Mm -hmm. I was on Tim Pool, then we were on Joe Rogan, we interviewed Bill Burr, we had that crazy Sam Harris episode <laughs> that, uh, that blew up all over the internet. Yeah. Uh, what was your most, most memorable moment of the to, year? To be honest with you, it was the America trip. That was... It was. It had this strange, almost ethereal-like quality to it, where, apart from a small blip at the beginning, do you remember with the all the equipment where we didn't have any equipment when we started? Yeah. Uh, and then we had to go. Yeah, and... I do remember. <laughs> apart from that, the rest of it went so well. I'm like, I was. I found myself thinking, is this a dream? Yeah. Like every day had that surreal, dream-like quality where we went to the Daily Wire. And then we were interviewing Sam Harris. and Not at the Daily Wire. Not at the Daily Wire. That would be a meeting of the minds, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, I can imagine they wouldn't get on that well. But it, it, was, it was an incredible experience and it was so fun. And it, was, it just showed us what was possible as well. Yeah, it did. Uh, and speaking of what was possible, we're obviously sitting in our new studio, not entirely complete. I mean, the neon lights that people will be used to seeing uh, were broken by one of the builders who was installing them. So doesn't sound like builders, does it? doesn't it, sound like builders at all. So we've got a few little bits to finish off. And this room, uh, the studio itself is looking good, but we've got more to do. Uh, and the office and green room part of the studio is nowhere near finished. Uh, so that will be a, a job for next year. But we started the year uh, in our last studio, uh, and uh, by the end of the year, we had to. We were forced to leave <laughs> that. 
which is the, the eternal journey of trigonometry. People haven't seen uh, the truth about trigonometry, particularly part one. We talk about you know being kicked out of studio after studio. But here in, in this place, we have a more or less long-term home. We've built this entire place from scratch. It was just one big empty room and we, we've made it the way we want and we've still got things to add. Uh, so I'm excited about next year as well. Uh, but what were some of the other highlights of last year for you? Do you remember? Yeah. So the- I mean, some of the guests we've had on the show in the last year, I mean, think about some of our uh, most popular episodes, Louise Perry. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Peter Zahan. Peter Zahan, fantastic. William Costello was a superb episode. Yeah, talking about incels. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I know it, we released a whole batch just around, do you remember when we got ill with COVID, around about that January moment, which were very, very good. Africa Brook. Yes. I think that was probably the first episode of 2022. Yeah, I think it may well have been, yeah. Yeah, and what a way to start. She was absolutely sensational. Just a brilliant episode. There were so many special moments in that last mm. studio. I tell you what was an was a real highlight for me when I interviewed you the day that Putin invaded Ukraine. Mm, we did that in February. I've forgotten about that, yeah. Uh, February 24th, and that's been a, a big part. And, and by the way, we raised uh, over £55,000 for charities that work in Ukraine in one evening. Mm. In one Raw show, we raised £55,000. Yeah. And that, to me, well, first of all, I know that it will make a big difference to people on the ground there, but also I think it speaks to um, how amazing our fans are and what we've built here too, because yeah. that showed you know, the number of people who uh, who watch and listen and pay attention to what we do and who, who wanted to support us doing that. It was incredible. It, it was a really special moment. I, I mean, when we said that it was going to be a fundraising roar, I mean, I thought we were going to make a decent amount of money. I didn't expect, because I, I had to work up, I was working up material for my tour, so I had to go and do a gig. And I was like, oh, but if I leave at 8.40, that's plenty of time, you know, Raw will be finished. And it just kept going. The money kept going. Well, I felt really bad and uh, because prior to doing it, I messaged a couple of our higher-end uh, <laughs> supporters who've given us uh, bits of money uh, yeah. here and, and there. And I said to them, look, we're going to do this fundraiser. I'm guessing we'll probably raise about, I don't know, a couple of grand. Mm. You know, you're a millionaire. Would you like to match it? And sm- this is how you you know why millionaires are millionaires. They all went, nah, but I'll give you a grand. <laughs> uh, because if they had matched it, they'd be in for about 50 grand each. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was incredible and very surprising. And I think sometimes you and I don't really realize... Uh, how amazing we, we the thing we've built is and how much yeah. people enjoy it and our community on Locals, which has been brilliant as well. Um, and it, it's been a really interesting year from a personal perspective for yeah. both of us as well. For me, uh, my book came out this year uh, and I had some fascinating insights into the way that the whole publishing industry works and books and everything, which we can talk about if you want. And also Nikolai, my son was born. Incredible. He's uh, seven months old now, which is... They're just insane. And that's been a complete transformation. This changed a lot of the way that I see politics and life as well. You know, um, I can, now I truly understand, while I, I certainly wouldn't say that I'm becoming conservative, I understand why people become more small C conservative with time. And I don't think it's time. I think it's life, uh, life decisions and life events that really change that for you. Like when I see the world through 
parent's eyes, mm -hmm. it completely changes how I perceive lots of things. Like what? Like for instance? Um, well, I mean, the obvious one is drugs. I, you know me, I've been as libertarian as anybody on the issue of drugs. But when I think about do I want him to be able to buy heroin at the pharmacy at the age mm -hmm. of 16, I think probably not, you know. Um, so, Killjoy. Killjoy, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it's also made me realize, particularly on the trans issue, which we've talked to death, frankly, but it won't go away until we've got to keep raising awareness of it, is when you see how small and vulnerable and undeveloped also their, their brains are when they're small, you kind of go, you, they're not capable of making such decisions. And of course, no one makes a decision to transition at seven months, but you can see the progression yeah. from between where he is now and an adult. And yeah. you just go, these are not, the children are not capable of making decisions of this nature. And they're likely to experience a distress in teenage years and whatever. And they're, they're going to be looking for explanations of why they feel in a certain way. You know, and we've interviewed in the last few days, we've interviewed both Ollie London mm -hmm. and Helen Joyce, which were both very powerful interviews in their own way. And that's one of the things that I realized, you know, a lot of young people are looking for answers to the same existential questions that human beings have always been dealt with. But now they've got this fucking thing in their hand that just offers them this complete massive range of choices. And where in the past you would have felt distress or discomfort or questions about your future, now you've just got this portal to hell in your hand. Um, and so it's made me more conservative, more, more, I don't know if they're right, it's conservative is the right word, but it's like my son isn't getting a smartphone for a very long time. I don't think we understand actually what smartphones are. I don't think we understand what they're doing to us. I think, I think it was Jordan Peterson who said this. We've all become part of an experiment and no one consented to. And they are manipulating our minds. They are changing the way we think. They're changing our attention patterns in ways that we can't possibly understand. So correct decision. And, and think about us. I mean, you and I are both basically 40 now. So we grew up we look younger. Some of us. <laughs> uh, some, on, on a good day, some yeah. of us look 38. Yeah. But you and I grew up in an era, when I was growing up, there was no internet. No. There were no computers for a long time in my childhood as well. Um, and so you were not constantly plugged in to, the, to this hive mind. But for young people nowadays who are growing up now, they've never experienced that world. They've always been plugged into, and, and the thing is, you, you recognize, particularly if you switch off from the internet for a couple of days and you just go and do something out in the real world, the internet misrepresents reality, Yeah. particularly social media. And yet, if that is all you know, if you've grown up with that from the beginning, it distorts your view of reality, which I think is where a lot of the sort of culture war happens, is because quite a lot of people have just become so disconnected from the real world then these phrases like, well, there's no difference between men and women, they become possible in a world in which you're not confronted with reality. Yeah, and, and, and that's such a great point. And it's also, we get our ideas, not just of how other people are, what they're like as people, and how well they're doing or, or not, how they're, well they're not doing, all of these things from social media. And it doesn't exist. It's a misrepresentation. You can think someone is doing incredibly well, and 
I mean, on one level they might be, or it might just be them showing edited highlights. But in that moment, they might, they might be experiencing a tragedy. And yet we look at them and we feel jealous that we are not them. And the reality is, but we don't know. We don't know. And so we, have th we now think that this alternate version of reality is reality. And we've all bought it as well. Yeah. Yeah. All of us. I don't care who you are. We all think that way now. Yeah, and that, you know, you touch on jealousy, and that's one of the things that uh, has really shifted for me in the last few years doing the show uh, and uh, Nikolai being born as well. It's like I am so grateful for everything that we get to do, just the fact that we get to turn up and this is our job. It's like what yeah. Bill Burr said to us. Yeah. You know, we were talking, and he was like, this isn't a real job. <laughs> what are we doing here? It's Tuesday afternoon. We're sitting here with jackets on, you yeah. know. And it's something I've been conscious of for a long time. And, um, I've just, I've really forced myself, not, not that it was ever a big thing for me anyway, but, you know, everyone feels jealousy every now and again. I, the fact that, you know, people commented on the fact that when we were on America trip and we put those vlogs out, which our brilliant intern, Elliot, edited so well, uh, and we were saying grace before meals, even though none of us is religious, but that's why we do it, because that practice of gratitude is so important, um, particularly when we're building something and we're doing well and we're having a lot of success and we grow every year. And that's really something that I think we don't appreciate is the constant growth, how fulfilling that is for us. Mm -hmm. Because you and I are both very competitive and driven people. And I think I, I always get itchy feet, certainly throughout my life in, in other jobs that I've done and other careers that I've had. Once I start to feel like I've got it down and I know how this works and there's nothing new and there's no problems to solve, I start to get bored. Whereas with trigonometry, that really isn't the case. So, and of course, you know, seeing a child be born and watching their first smile and like he's literally in the last two weeks gone from like constantly lying on his back on his front to like crawling around everywhere. Like I was having a shower this morning and suddenly the door opened and he crawled in, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, just watching that whole process, it makes you so grateful for, for everything. And so I, I, I've really been, I mean, it sounds wanky, but I, I've really been blessed this year to, 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 to notice and appreciate all the things that are going right. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to do that because I think a lot of the time we're so conditioned, especially in the West, to when things go right, you just go, oh, that's the way it should be. Mm. That's what life is. Life should be like this. And you're like, well, no, that's not how life works. And by the way, we're about to find that out yeah. with the economic situation in the country and the political situation because... It seems to me, I mean, actually, Helen Joyce, who we recorded an interview when I was bringing her, uh, when we were driving in the car, uh, this is what she was saying. She said, when I worked at The Economist 12, 15 years ago, it was all about, well, you know, we've got an extra 10 billion. How should the government spend it? Mm. And that's over, man. Yeah. I think the truth is, and people, I think people really haven't caught, cottoned on to this. The next few years are going to be extraordinarily difficult, I think, economically, culturally, politically, and socially. The, the, this notion that we've enjoyed in the post-war period in the West, that the world's always going to be better, your children are always going to be better off than you were. And technologically, that'll probably still be the case. You know, They will probably still live longer and, and they'll still have better gadgets and whatever. But the idea that they're going to be richer or that it's going to be easier for them to get a job 
uh, young people, you know, it's really, really difficult for a lot of people. And I think that's only going to get worse, unfortunately. I, look, I completely agree with you. I think that the reality is, is this is the beginning of the tough times. We have seen chronic mismanagement by successive governments for a long time. And now the chickens are coming home to roost, in particular with lockdown. Just to interrupt, sorry, I want to hear the rest of your point, but I would go, I think you're right about chronic mismanagement by several, you're, you're bang on the money. I think it's actually a bigger issue than that. I think it's a, a, a broader problem. It's a global problem, actually. The, the, the way that the economy has been managed, the getting into endless levels of debt, never even trying to pay it off, is a West-wide phenomenon and perhaps extends beyond that. Sorry. No, 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 no. But uh, again, I absolutely agree. And we are at the very beginning. I was thinking about it the other day. It kind of reminded me, like the COVID is kind of like when, when we shut everything down and we gave money, what we basically were like was like a landlord and everybody came in for a pint and we didn't have enough beer. So what do we do? We just watered down the alcohol. Mm. Everyone got their beer, but no one was getting pissed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, what this pint that you were expecting to make give you that warm, fuzzy feeling and take you to a better place, all of a sudden, it ain't doing that. And that's what we're all feeling with our pockets, with the money that we've got. It isn't going to go to where it, it used to be. I can see why you don't drink anymore, mate. It was a graphic way in which you described that. Just doesn't give you the buzz. It doesn't. And I think that's... You need the hard stuff. (laughs) Bitcoin. (laughs) Bitcoin, exactly. And I think that people, more and more people are waking up to that fact. And you're looking at, and we've raised Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the kind of get-rich-quick scheme for our generation. But again, with the SB, with Sam Bankman-Fried or whatever his name is. Well, that wasn't Bitcoin specifically, but I know what you mean, right? Crypto. Yeah, I'm talking about crypto in general because for our generation, really difficult to get on the property ladder, very hard to... So what are you going to do with your money? Invest it in crypto. That was the dream. And again, that's gone by the wayside. So I think a lot of people are looking at the economic landscape and thinking to themselves... I don't know how this, how I'm going to do, what I'm going to do with this. Mm. I don't know how I'm going to make this work. I don't know what my options are. Everybody is taking a real world pay cut and things are getting more expensive. Well, it's almost like the period of time that we're living through is just so completely different to everything that came before. Mm. I think, and I think you're right. The pandemic was definitely the catalyst. Then you have the war in Ukraine and the war in Ukraine, People have different views on, on how it started and what's going on and what we should do about it and, and whatever. But it's the first time in a very long time that you've had full-scale military conflict in, in Europe mm-hmm. between two major nations in Europe uh, in, w- in which everyone has felt that they've been somehow affected by it. It has thrown the very idea of globalization combined with obviously COVID and China uh, into the bin. And as Peter Zehan talked about the globalization is basically over and that's not necessarily that globalization did a lot of damage to certain individual people but it was also the foundation of western prosperity and prosperity around the world in many ways so that being undone quite rapidly in a short period of time is going to have massive impact on 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 the world and yet i also think that it, it's going to be an exciting time at the same time uh, because 
I, I think particularly in the cultural space, and you and I have talked about it with a few guests, but the one thing I'm really conscious of is those of us like you and I who made it our business to oppose woke idiocy, and we did it for a number of reasons, I think, you know, would it be fair to say that with you, it was because A, you saw it destroying comedy and B, your background in terms of your family in Venezuela yeah. and seeing what the far left can do when it gets off, off the rails? Yeah. Or when, not necessarily off the rails. When it, gets when, it giving, does, yeah. when it gets given an opportunity to run rampant. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And not dissimilar in my case. I think in my case, it was... I mean, comedy was obviously a big part of it, but I'm also just someone because of my background and because of what my ancestors went through in the Soviet Union, you know, the concept of truth has a, has so much value to me that I, I wasn't prepared to go along with, you know, two plus two equals five. And that's increasingly what we were we felt we had to do. So we started trigonometry by opposing all this woke idiocy. And in the process, I also think we feel that there are some people who go too far in another direction. And and we've, it's, they, they were always there, but it's just, I guess, we were feeling our way out and trying to understand where, where do we map into this whole thing. And I think now it is the responsibility of people like us. And I hear different people having these conversations, like uh, Peter Thiel gave a talk to the NatCon conference, and he talked about a positive vision for the future. And he doesn't exactly have one, but, and I don't exactly have one, and you don't exactly have one, but I think people enough smart people, or smarter than us people at least, are asking questions like, well, what is the positive vision for people like us? Why should anybody j join our tribe, whatever that tribe is, right? Not the right-wing lunatics tribe and the far-left lunatics tribe, but the non-lunatic tribe. Why should anyone be on board with us? Because we've spent quite a lot of time opposing things, mm -hmm. saying, well, that's wrong and that's stupid and that's... But but why, what, what do we have to offer the world? What, what does our way of thinking, what, does, what do the questions we ask have to add to the conversation? And that's something I've been thinking about a lot and having my son has, has made me think about that even more. Yeah, because it's not enough to be against something. Yeah. You can't base an identity on being anti-something. You've got to be... Because if you look at music, you know, if you... Every musical movement is a reaction to the one before. But it's not just, oh, we are going, we, we dislike this, this, and this. It has its own sound. It has its own tribe. It has its own way of being. It has its, it, you know, there's many different things that form a, a new musical movement. So for us, it's important to actually think to ourselves, well, what do we want to create? Because it's not enough to be anti. It's not enough to criticize. Because let's be fair. The easiest thing in the world is to stand on the sidelines and criticize people. We can do that all day long. Yeah. But if you want to make something better, if you want to actually be a force for good, if you want society to improve, then you need to be a creator. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the, in some ways, the tragedies that I think about culturally that have occurred as a result of this woke uh, idiocy is too many people who are very creative have now ended up in a position where like us, rather than doing the creative thing that they were always doing, instead they're just talking about not being able to be creative or you know, they've gone from, you know, like Winston Marshall, he's a very yeah. good friend of ours, or the two of us, or Andrew Doyle, or you, you, can, you can go on and on and on. There's a whole list of creative people who used to make comedy or music or whatever, who's now, whose job now mainly is to do something else. 
And I think that's something we need to address, actually. And so, you know, there's, there's a few conversations happening behind the scenes, uh, but that is definitely one of the uh, items on my agenda for the next few years is how do we, you know, I, I'm tired of talking. Look, I haven't done stand-up since the pandemic began, and I'm really happy not doing stand-up. But, you know, you and I do raw shows three nights a week, and that is an outlet for both of our comedic and creative energies. But I think we need more. I think yeah. I think um, that we, we've got to, rather than going, you know, diversity and wokeness and all this stuff has made all the TV comedies that we used to love shit, we've got to make our own stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's the future. Likewise with music, likewise with theatre, likewise with all sorts of things. And... and uh, people should know that there is work being done behind the scenes on on, on those fronts. Yeah, we, it's got to happen and we've got to do it because otherwise all you're doing is complaining. Mm-hmm. It's glorified complaining. And I always it's not think, even that glorified. No. It's just complaining. Yeah, it's complaining. And I always see complaining like scratching a bit of eczema where at the, in the moment it feels good. But... Doesn't improve anything. Doesn't improve anything. And actually, long term, it just makes you feel worse. Because all you do is focus on the negatives. And eventually you just start spiraling because all you see are negatives. Whereas if you create, that's much more positive. Because it number one, it's more enjoyable. And number two, good things happen when you create. Good things happen. You meet new people, you talk to new people, new things, new opportunities open. And also as well, people see you creating and that then spurs them on to do their own thing. And that's how communities are built. Well, absolutely. With trigonometry, I I don't think we're blowing our own trumpet to say that a lot of people in the UK didn't do what we do back when we started and they now do it. And I think part of the reason is they looked at us and went, well, if those two idiots can do it, so can we. And that's great. That, you know, there's something that uh, Joe Rogan always talks about, which is, he wants as many as many people as possible to have a podcast and do a thing and whatever, uh, because you're trying to build. A, you need more people doing yeah. something than in just a couple. So, uh, you know, we always try and encourage people as well, and I think that's that's really important. Um, so, I, I, the question I wanted to ask you is: What have been some of the biggest like mindset changes or ideas that you've come up with during the last year that have changed how you look at the world? Biggest mindset changes that we had a, a a business meeting with someone, and we were talking about you know trigonometry, and uh, I, I was saying, and I, I made the point of you know the you know the mainstream media, and I was just like going you know the problem with the mainstream media is you know they take people and then they like comedians and they you know sanitize them and whatever else and. And he just looked at me and went, yeah, that's a victim mindset. Yes. And I was like, you're right. And then, we, we, and then I think it was you who made the point, who said something about the mainstream media. And he went, you are the mainstream media. And we were like, what? And he went, of course you are. You've got hundreds, over half a million subscribers across all platforms. You are the mainstream media. Millions of people watch and listen to you every month. You are the mainstream now. And that was a very big moment where I was just, because I still, in my head, fringe is the wrong word. We're not fringe, but I, I, that's what, if you see what I'm saying. I don't know exactly what you're saying. Well, the thing is, the, the mainstream doesn't exist anymore in the way that it did, because uh, in the 90s and the 80s, if you were on TV, everybody knew who you were. Yeah. Because everybody watched the same five channels yeah. in this country. 
now, there are very, very few big stars. Like, as we're sitting recording this, Jeremy Clarkson wrote a piece about Meghan Markle in which he compa- he, he fantasized about her being subjected to the same thing as um, Queen Cersei in Game of Thrones. And it was quite obviously a reference to that, but most people didn't get it because most people haven't seen Game of Thrones, even though Game of Thrones is one of the biggest shows in the history of the last 10 years, mm-hmm. right? So that mainstream celebrity and fame, it just isn't available anymore for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, even with sport, to be honest, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think I think sadly for everyone watching, this is what the mainstream is going to look like going <laughs> forward. Yeah, and but that to me was that was a really eye-opening moment where someone was going, "No, what you've created now, you are part of the mainstream, and you need to think, act, and behave like that." Yeah. And this idea that you know you're on the side, you know you're on the side, you you know you're, you're fringe and whatever else, you're not. You are part of the mainstream, and you should accept that, and you should embrace that, and you should really step into that role. And I think that's very important for both of us as we move forward. What about yourself? Um, I think that's a big part of it. I think one of the things that's happened this year is my own audience has grown a lot, Mm -hmm. particularly on social media. Doing the book and around the war in Ukraine, it meant that a lot of people wanted to hear what I had to say. So uh, I think I'll end the year on like 200,000 Twitter followers, which is Mm -hmm. insane. And it's made me sort of behave more responsibly, if mm. I'm honest, because I'm like, okay, quite a lot of people are watching this now. I can't just, you know, uh, troll people in the same way that I used to, or, or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever troll people, but I would be more abrasive in the mm. way that I communicated. And also, I think fatherhood has also had that effect on me as well, where I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I, I have to, I, I don't yet have to be an example because you won't have social media for a long time. But uh, at some point, I'm going to have to be, uh, an example, and, and I take that responsibility very seriously. So that's been one of them. And the other thing is, one of the things that's happened over the course of the last year in particular is trigonometry has is, is got bigger and bigger. And it's meant, you know, as we always talk about, every time the show gets bigger and we generate more revenue, the only thing we ever think about is, okay, we need to hire another person so that the week we can not be constantly overworked and yeah. overwhelmed and dropping the ball here and dropping the ball there. And our team has grown to the point where, you know, in addition to me, you and Anton, our executive producer, we now have uh, two more full-time staff and five or six part-time staff as well. And that's a big team to manage. And, you know, whether we liked it or not, I mean, I always say this, you know, we're two idiot comedians that started a podcast, but we now have like a small business Mm -hmm. to run. And it's completely changed how I think about the economy, the tax system, the whole thing, because, and, and, and the America trip really helped to see things in a different way as well, because I don't think in this country, we quite appreciate how difficult we make it to, to run a small business. Yeah. It is very, and this isn't, again, coming back to the victim mentality. We are doing well in terms of, you know, growing our audience and putting mm-hmm. out great content. And, and I'm really proud of, of, of the stuff that we've created all over the last year. But it is not easy to yeah. run a business in this country. And when you go to America and you see what, what it's like over there, it does make you think. And, and, and every time, you know, every time I turn on the TV now and we've got these strikes going on at the moment and all of that, and I sort of think the way we talk about people who 
who've started a business or people who are wealthy or people who are successful, it's almost like baked in that they're somehow evil mm-hmm. in this country. I don't know if you think that's true or not, but like the, the, we always talk about, you know, they've got to pay their fair share. And, uh, you know, the top 1% of people in this country pay 33% of all income tax and the top 10% pay over nearly 70%. The top 10% pay nearly 70% of all income tax. How evil are they? Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm not saying... There aren't people at the very top who are getting away with things or avoiding tax or whatever. But the truth is, I think, if people understood how fucking hard it is to run a business of any kind, and most small, most big businesses started out as a small business, their attitude would be different. I can, look, I, I agree with you. I and by the way, this is an area where you and I have sparred a lot mm. because you come in with, with your <laughs> working class credentials. Or, the who's responsible? <laughs> the rich must, you know. Yeah, look. I, the, the problem is, is that I think when people talk about these things, they talk about it in an emotional way. Yes. The reality is, if somebody is doing very well for themselves and has a small business... Which we're not. Yeah, send us money. Um, we, and let's say they're on six figures, that to me is not wealth. Yeah, that to me that's is not so, wealth, it's just income. That's in, yeah, that's someone who's doing well for themselves and that, that should be celebrated and, and all the rest of it. I think what people conflate with the two is people like Bezos who, you know, use every loophole possible in order to avoid paying corporation tax. Allegedly. Allegedly. Please don't sue us. If you do, actually, it'd be good to sue us because then we get loads of publicity. But I think that's what people mean. Yeah, but there's like five people like that in yeah. the world. Yeah. Right? And, and they should all pay more tax. I agree. Yeah. Their company should, but yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like we, we you and I had a big debate about the the, the strikes recently, yeah. right? And the nurses, for example, are asking for a 19 percent pay increase. Yeah, which is unrealistic. Well, I, I agree with you, but, but my point is something else, which is this: like, for example, with trigonometry, right? Mm-hmm. We've actually taken a huge risk in getting the studio. We spent probably the best part of 40 grand building what we need, right? And that is, that's, we built a war chest over the last year because we knew we were going to step up to this level. Yeah. Right. But right now I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, you and I have already, and Anton have taken a pay cut just so we can keep all our staff who we need to do, make the yeah. show. And so we can continue to pay for the student. And I'm looking at our finances going, we better fucking step our game up next year. Cause I don't know how we're going to find the money to pay for everything that we need, mm-hmm. you know? And I think most small businesses in this country, particularly in the current economy, are operating on exactly the same basis. They're just making do and just trying to make sure they don't have to lay off people around Christmas and so they can have the money to organize a Christmas party and all of that sort of thing. And that is, to a significant extent, what a lot of people who are creating the jobs in this country are going through. It's not like their life is plain sailing. No. And yet whenever we have these conversations in public, it seems to me like we demonize the very people who create the jobs and the opportunities for people in this country by taking a risk, man. L- let's be honest. You and I didn't take any money out of trigonometry. And in fact, we paid our own money into trigonometry so we could pay Anton the measly <laughs> sum of 500 quid a month to edit all our episodes, right? And buy a mistake, even yeah. though he was a vegetarian. <laughs> and we did that for, what, two and a half, three years? Yeah. Right, it wasn't until the pandemic yeah, that we started to take... That, that we started, we got any salary yeah. at all. So, you, and we basically, I mean, not every small business does this, but you and I essentially ruined our existing careers mm-hmm. and made ourselves very toxic in the comedy industry because 
we believed in what we believed in. So we stepped up and we took a risk. And now, thank God that I don't believe in, but thank God we've created a small business that employs over 10 people. Yeah. And those people now not only have a salary, they have a meaningful, they have meaningful work. And, and I don't know if you feel this way, but for me, other than family, that is the number one priority in my life. To yeah. do something that I believe in, that I'm passionate about. And the truth is, this is the first job that I've ever had when I felt like that, you know? And I know that for many of the people who work on trigonometry, they feel the same way. They feel the same way. And that means something and that's valuable. And yet, you know, people who, who do that and who create those small businesses, they're sort of seen as these, you know, they're somehow suspect. Yeah. And I've, I used to feel that. I remember when we had Rupert Lowe on the show. You know, Rupert Lowe, business guy, uh, owner of Southampton formerly, etc. And he talked about, you know, we'll ask staff this. And, and, and there's always like, well, you're this posh guy with loads of money and whatever. But the more we do this, the more I realize that while, of course, there will be some people who get involved in all sorts of shenanigans and whatever, for the most part, people who start businesses are, are actually really important. And I, I don't think they get enough credit in this country. I think in America, they almost get too much credit, you know, and there's not enough expected of them in terms of contributing to society. Yeah. But I think in this country, we, we have it the wrong way around as well. Yeah, well, small businesses are the bedrock of our economy. Yeah. They, 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 they always have been, and hopefully they always will be. And that's why I was so against a lot of what the pandemic, the actions and the policies brought in by the pandemic, because it was to punish the small business owner, the average person, you know, with the mom and pop business, as they call it in the States, whilst effectively giving helping hands to the huge conglomerates and letting these small businesses go to the wall. And it was a tragedy. And look, I do agree with you. I think this, co this country is built economically on the backs of small businesses who do a lot of good, who do a lot of good not only for themselves and for this country, but as for society as a whole. You look, look, people, the staff who come in and work with us learn far more than if they went to work for a CNN or an MSNBC or a BBC. Not to say that they, they won't learn, because of course they will, but when you get involved in this type of production, you have to learn so many things. You have to be more flexible. The skill set that you generate as a result of that is just far broader and deeper. And look, I, I do agree with you that we, do, that we don't give small business owners enough credit. I think the problem is, is that our culture and our society, when it comes to finance and economics, is illiterate. A lot of people don't understand. They think that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're someone who's got your own business, that automatically means you're very wealthy, when the reality is a very high percentage of small businesses fail. Most businesses just make it to the end of the month if they can pay everyone and the guy at the top, or the lady, yes. Unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. <laughs> statistically, draws a salary. That's a win. The jokes, guys. <laughs> that's a win. Yeah, completely. And and that, but that's how tri I mean trigonometry has been like that since forever, and yeah, it's like that now. I think people see the numbers and they see how many people we have on our locals. But this is literally it's hand to mouth every month. We built up a war chest to be able to do this. Yeah, that's gone now, and yeah. our costs have. I mean, this studio costs about three times to four times as much as our last ones. Yeah. And that's why you and I are taking less money and so is Anton, just so that we can manage it. Uh, and, you know, I already 
I'm already thinking, you know, we've got to come back next year and do this and do this and yeah. do this and do that because, you know, I hope people watching this understand this isn't this isn't making Francis and Constantine wealthy project mm. at all in no. the slightest. You no, know? this has always been a passion project. Yeah, it always has. And to to be, but the, the reason is, it's like for us to be able to do this as a job is the best thing that's ever happened. Of course it is. In our in our professional careers, this is the best thing that's yeah. ever happened, isn't yeah. it? Of course it is, because it's very rare people are in control of their own destiny. Even top-level comedians. Yeah. You know, you're still at the whims of... Say the wrong thing. Yeah. You're still at, oh, the, and the casting agents and, the, you know, the booking agents and the directors and fashion. All of a sudden, you may be flavor of the month one moment, the winds change for whatever reason, and you're not as desirable, you're not as bookable. You know, there's always a new hot young thing that's coming onto the scene. So we're very blessed to be in control of our own destiny. Yeah. yeah. And, and we work very hard for, because of that. Yeah, you know? and we work very hard because of that. And, but there is something very special to going into work and knowing that you are the one who is going to make the decisions that ultimately will lead to success or, or failing. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose the point of this section is give us money. <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, not joking. Hey Francis, do you like locals? I live in London, mate, so obviously not. The only pleasure I get from the locals is when we share an intimate moment as we watch a Japanese tourist get trapped in a tube door. That is good. But I wasn't talking about the locals, I was talking about our community on locals. You mean the one where you get phenomenal behind the scenes content when you like your space when you get to ask incredible guests like Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, Bill Burr, Sam Harris, Adam Carolla, Heather Hying, and others your questions? Not just that, you can get supporter-only benefits like trigonometry mugs, monthly calls with our other top supporters, and even a regular meal with me and Francis. You also get phenomenal behind-the-scenes footage of our trip to America where we met a whole host of incredible guests and gave ourselves terminal indigestion. We're also starting to do monthly giveaways for locals only. The first one will be signed copies of Andrew Doyle's new book. Plus, you get access to an incredible community of like-minded people who share memes, have fun conversations, and most importantly, you get to make new friends. You can support us with as little as $7 or about £5 a month, or give us more for the higher tier benefits. Go to trigonometry.locals.com. Go to trigonometry.locals.com and support the show. You mentioned the pandemic, Francis. Now, that seems to be over. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Well, isn't it? No. What do you mean? Well, I don't, I mean, well, I mean, COVID is still there, but I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that- The consequences of it. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So, as for me, this is, the, the pandemic was everybody going out and splashing the cash. All of a sudden, we've woken up to the credit card bill and everybody here is wondering, how the hell are we going to pay it? I agree. And I think, obviously, the, the, the economy, you know, poverty kills people. Yeah. Fuel poverty kills people, and it will kill a lot of people this winter. And that is the product of, of partly of, uh, of many things, but one of them is, is the spending during the pandemic. We have, re we have record excess deaths in this country at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we warned about this 
we had many guests on the show to warn that these decisions that were being made were not cost free. Uh, and yet we were, uh, you know, people would attack us and, and, you know, say we're being irresponsible and whatever, even though I think the truth is we've been proven right on that. That's you know? also the government's fault as well, because the government scared people. Yeah. They put the fear of God into them. And, you know, people were terrified of this virus. And look, let's be honest, it's a nasty bug. Mm. Well, we, you and I have had it three times now. Yeah. And the first, well, for you, the, all three were quite bad. Yeah. Weren't they? The well, third one, the third third one, one was, was all right. The third one was all right. Whereas for me, the first one was barely noticeable. And the second, the, the middle one was really bad last year. And the one we had recently was, it wasn't fun, but yeah. it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not pleasant for sure, even for... No longer young, no longer healthy, <laughs> but whatever we are. Yeah, whatever Middle-aged men. Middle-aged men. Um, but, and also, it's important that we say this, chronic financial mismanagement, yeah. and there was a lot of money that was, let's put it bluntly, misappropriated. Of course, but that's always going to happen when everyone's in a panic and, yeah. you know, whatever. Not the, to excuse it, of course, yeah. but, but that was always going to happen. You know, I, I haven't told the story, I think, on camera before, but I, it just illustrates to me some of the lengths that people were prepared to go to. And I, I, I don't think people really get it. So exactly a year ago, um, there was a protest in Parliament Square that Silky Carlo uh, mm-hmm. organized, one of our former guests from Big Brother Watch, which was against vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. And Sophie, our video editor and I, Harmon, uh, who works for us as well, and I, we went along uh, to protest. And we got, it was a miserable, wet, windy December day. It was really unpleasant. We got to Parliament Square and there was, I don't know, maybe 150 people there. Yeah. It was the dampest of all squibs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was muddy. Um, and then we got there and because I'd been quite outspoken about this issue and people, a lot of the people who were there would have known me, Silky shoved a, a megaphone in my hand and, you know, I, I said something, I don't remember. Where do I say? I don't know what to say. I don't know what I feel today. It feels like a very strange time to be alive in this country. I'm an immigrant to this country. I came here in 1995. I was brought up in the Soviet Union and we saw the erosion of our freedoms and civil liberties immediately and also over time. And that's why I'm here and that's why I'm talking about this stuff because that is what is happening. Your rights are being taken away. Uh, I know that You might feel underwhelmed by the number of people here. I know that sometimes it feels like you're protesting, you're speaking out against it, nothing is happening. But know that people are watching, people are hearing what you're saying. And we've got to keep it up. We've got to keep it up. We can't give up. We can't stop talking about it. We can't stop protesting about it. And when people see that more and more people are against this stuff, they will support us and we will make some changes. Thank you very much for coming out today. Thank you. And... When Sophie and I were coming back to the studio, I was so I was so deflated by the whole experience because I was just like, look, we live in a country of people who've given in. Yeah. They've accepted the idea that medical staff and care workers, etc., should be fired from their jobs that they've done in many cases for decades because they don't want to be vaccinated for whatever reason. And they must be made to be vaccinated. And I, and I, I felt, Sophie, myself, and I think most of us felt that it was just, it was wrong. Yep. It was, it was a line that must never be crossed. 
But I, I felt, going back on the tube or wherever it was, I just felt really deflated by the fact that so few people were out there and we were clearly not going to have an impact and, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but eventually the government did reverse that decision. And what was fascinating was that when, when my wife was giving birth, uh, she was planning to give birth at home. Uh, and that's not how it worked out. Uh, you know, she, she spent the whole pregnancy being all holistic and blah, 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 blah. But we actually ended up having to go to hospital at quite short notice with her screaming in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite an experience. And then she had a long and... It wasn't long, but it was arduous labor. And she was really adamant that she did not want to have any medical intervention unless it was absolutely necessary. But it was looking very much like she was going to have to have a C-section. And I knew that, you know it really wasn't going to be mentally good for her. She would blame herself and she'd be upset and, and whatever. And it was a long, I don't want to get all, into all the details, but it was a really long and arduous labor and it was very stressful. And actually her plan was that I wouldn't be in the room when she was giving birth. She was going to have it all, you know, in the dark and blah, blah, blah. But I was in the room and I had to kind of talk to the midwives and sort of manage the whole process to some extent. And right as things were looking really bad, um, this midwife came in who hadn't been there before and she was absolutely brilliant. And because of her, because of this one woman, uh, my wife was able to give birth naturally and our son popped out and he was all healthy, even though it'd been, you know, there was some risk involved and whatever. And after all, you know, he was born, uh, he was covered in myconium, which is like baby poo, which means that he was getting to the point where he was distressed in the womb. Um, and uh, when, when he was born, he was this tiny little thing and he popped out and the, the, as he popped out, this midwife started like rubbing him with a towel and, he, and, and she went, pull the emergency cord and like someone pulled the emergency cord and like seemingly dozens of people ran into the room and I just stood in the corner like this as they all did something and eventually they cut the umbilical cord and this neopathologist came in, looked at him, made sure he was okay and he was absolutely fine. So happy ending. And then when they all left and it was just us uh, with, with our son and this midwife and uh, she started asking us various questions and one of them for the medical questionnaire was, uh, are you vaccinated? She had to ask my wife. Um, and my wife didn't want to get vaccinated because during her pregnancy yeah. because, you know, I think a lot of women were concerned about it and who knows if they were right or not. But my wife felt very strongly that she didn't want to be. And this midwife who had been incredible asked this question and I felt bad because I was like, well, she, I'm sure, she, you know, she, she'll think that my wife and, you know, made the wrong, whatever. Uh, and I started going, well, you know, blah, sort of making excuses yeah. almost. And she went, oh, don't worry, I'm not vaccinated. And I was like, really? And we started talking about it. And then eventually I said, so you must have felt very strongly about the government trying to mandate these vaccines. And she went, yeah, I was going to quit. And my son would not have been born the way that he was born if she hadn't been there, you know. And so when I think back to that pointless protest and whatever, and I don't know if it made any difference at all, but I felt that the stand that we took and many other people took at the time for what we believed in, even though... Who knows what impact we had, but it was important that somebody somebody made that stand. And by the way, I probably caught COVID 
at that protest. It's quite possible because that was the day we had... It might have been at that protest or it might have been in the evening where we had one of our live shows. Yeah, I remember it. So we either caught it there or we gave it to everybody there. Who knows, right? But it wasn't impact-free, my point is this. Neither us being public about our opinions yeah. at the time or going to that protest or doing any of the other things that we did. And yet in some small way, I feel like the way he was born was a reward mm. for us making that stand, you know? And I think during the pandemic, we really found out who's who in terms of who's going to be there when the vast majority of people go off the deep end like lemmings. And that's, I'm sorry, I know that people were scared, but that's what I feel people were, were doing during the pandemic. I think a lot of people panicked. I think a lot, and people in government too, overreacted, um, went too far. I think red lines were crossed on many occasions. And I'll be honest with you, man, I don't think we're going to get the sort of public inquiry we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think that the next time there is a pandemic, I think it will be as bad, if not worse. Yeah, I, I, look, I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think, unfortunately, nobody, some lessons are too painful for people to be able to digest. And I think the pandemic is going to be one of those things. I think people behaved, some people behaved so awfully that it is probably going to be too painful for them to look at their own behaviour and to be able to analyse it and actually learn from it. Some people will. Some people will hold up their hands and go, you know what, I was really wrong on this one. I was really wrong when it came to vaccines. I was really wrong with the vaccine mandates. I was really, really out of line the way I spoke to certain people. But I don't think a lot of people will want to look at it like that. I think a lot of people will frame it as, it was a pandemic, what are you going to do? And then move on. And the sad thing is, is not learn from it. Because I think that moment that we all went through, I think it was a, it was a moment which revealed a lot of things. When moments of crisis happen, that's when the mask slips with people. Yeah. And you actually see people for who they truly are, both good and bad, of which we have in all of us. Mm. But I think with a lot of people, you saw the authoritarianism come out. Yeah. You saw the desire to control people. You saw the anger. You saw also the fear and, and how fear does... You know, people say that, you know, jealousy, you know... It, is, is a very toxic emotion and jealousy could, does create toxic emotions and makes people do awful things. But in many ways, fear does as well. Mm. Because if you think your own health or your safety is on the line, then you will do whatever it takes in order to make sure that you are safe. And if that means some, throwing somebody metaphorically in the way of fire. The thing that bothered me about it was irrationality as well, though. Mm. Because you and I, look, you and I also ad adjusted our views over the course of the pandemic and our own experience with COVID was a bit of a wake-up call because I think uh, we, we were perhaps a little bit too lackadaisical about it uh, at times. Uh, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think we were broadly speaking on the right path, which was, you know, the vaccine is really good for people who are elderly or vulnerable, mm. but probably not necessarily necessary for other people, particularly those who've had mm. the disease before and who've got some natural immunity. 
uh, and we kind of stuck to that. But the rationality, like when he was very clear that lockdowns were not saving lives, mm -hmm. when he was very clear that masks didn't actually prevent the transmission of COVID, when it was very clear that COVID vaccines are not effective enough at preventing transmission, to demand that people inject something into their body that we now know, as we knew at the time, carries with it certain risks. To force people to do that, it just, I think to me that goes beyond authoritarianism. And it is, like I say, it's a red line. Bodily autonomy is such a fundamental thing about what it means to be human. The idea that I don't get to inject things in your body. I mean, it's not complicated, is it? No. But but people were willing to invent all sorts of excuses at the time. And, and there'll be people out there now who who, who demand that. And, and and it also, it moved into other realms as well. Like, you, you it's, it's quite common now for people to go, well, someone says something I don't like, they should be arrested. Yeah. Arrested for saying something. And it just, that creep of... I get to control other people because I don't like what they do. There was moments during the pandemic, and we've talked about it before, and we were not, as, as trigonometry, as a business, we were not ready to, to up sticks and move to another country. We, we weren't big enough. We didn't have the resources, the finances. We didn't have money in the bank to be able to do it. But despite that, me, you, and Anton were sitting there going, look, if, if this other thing happens, we have to think about moving to America. Yeah. And like one of two states in America where yeah. you can have freedom still, you know, because I just, I just thought we went so, so far in this country and it, it scared me. And I'll be honest with you, um, you know, I love this country, but I have to say it fundamentally changed my view of this country, I think forever. Yeah. I, forever. It's, it changed my view of this country. I was shocked at how many people relished the petty authoritarianism. Yeah. And I don't use that word lightly. They loved it. They did. They absolutely loved the opportunity to tell their fellow citizen what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. And you just think, this isn't the country that I grew up in. This isn't the liberal tolerant society that I thought that I lived in. The amount of people who just, this, the glee that they felt that they could tell another person what to do with their body, where to go, how to behave. I, I, it really, it disillusioned me. Because I remember when I was a kid and every time I went to Venezuela, and Venezuela has always been chaos, it's the way it always is, you know, it's Latin America. And I always remember coming back to England and just as a kid, even as a kid, like breathing a sigh of relief because it felt sane. And I remember in the pandemic going, this is insane. This is the definition of insane. The way we're living, the way that people are behaving, the policies, none of this makes any sense. And I was the one, oh, look, I'm going to be honest, I still want to leave. Mm. Do you? How come? I don't see a lot of future in this country. Why not? Economically, it's broken. I don't think we have the caliber of politicians to, to lead us out of this, either right or left. This isn't a partisan thing. If I saw incredible people on the left, I'd be like, yep. 
I don't see anybody on the right who's got, who's a strong enough figure to actually come out and be honest with the population. I don't see people with character or vision on either side. I think, I think this is, we're in a, for a really tough time. And if it was just a tough time, but there were people that I looked at who I thought, we can get behind them as a country, I wouldn't be worried. That's not where my worry comes from, the fact that we are in this financial situation. It's the fact that I'm looking at people in government, in power. Who is there? That's what worries me. I understand. I, I, I wonder, though, I mean, if you were living through the 1990s, would you have not felt the same? The 1990s? Yeah. What part of the 90s? The early 90s. John yeah, Major's government or the end of Thatcher or whatever, it's all limping to the, to the death knell, to the whatever the fucking metaphor yeah, is. Yeah. Limping into their own grave, right? And then Tony Blair comes along. Yeah. Fucks it all up. <laughs> <laughs> Invades Iraq, mate. Invades Iraq. No, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Look, I, I think to, to despair at the fact that our politicians are not able to deal with the problems that the country faces is correct. But where are you going to go? I would rather go to somewhere. In, I'd rather. I'd rather go to America. Yeah. And look, what, what, who are the politicians of of vision and leadership there? Trump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and AOC. And AOC. I just, I, I find the American spirit invigorating. So do I. So do I. But the question for us is, see, I don't want to leave anymore. I think when we were in America. It was exhilarating. Yeah. And we were going to, if if we can fund them, we will do two more trips mm. next year to go and interview big guests and, and, and continue our expansion. And, and we have a huge audience in America, yeah. you know. I think uh, uh, the UK is something like 40% and America is 40% mm. for us. So, you know, we've got as big an audience in America as we do here. But... I think that, first of all, I don't like running from challenges, number one. Number two, America has all these same problems, not economically quite as much, but culturally, many other problems are worse in the United States. Um, and you want to have children eventually, and I have one already and maybe uh, more later, I know people who live in America now who, who are saying, like, I want to move back because I, really? ca I can't face putting my children in this education system, you know. And also, I mean, if Tim Poole will have you believe, and, you know, him and I disagreed with, with him uh, about this on his show and he followed me on Twitter straight afterwards. But, you know, there are a lot of people like Tim who are pushing the Civil War narrative, narrative. very hard. Yeah. And that's, you know, probably because, you know, it generates a lot of attention, but also because there are people... Who are, we saw this too when we were in America. There are many people in America who are very polarized and they have guns. Yeah. Right. So I, I think I understand what you're saying and I understand, but I also think that on these cultural topics that we, we talk about on the show, we can win the fight in the UK in a way that you're not going to win in America. You're just, the trans issue is not going to be like it is in the UK. No. We're, we're winning here. 
Yeah. We are winning and we are going to win. And you and I have put our reputations on the line and our careers on the line to get people on the show who could explain that issue to us. And once we understood what was going on, there was no way back, right? And the more we talk about it, the more we understand that there's no way back. And we're not going to give up until that issue is dealt with properly, right? And we're making progress. The Tavistock is shut down and is being sued. And I'm not saying we did that, of yeah. course, but we did have one of their whistleblowers yeah. on the show and other people talking about mermaids has now been exposed for what it is. Uh, the gender recognition, you know, we're making progress. And I believe on that issue, we can win the fight. The, the free speech issue is more difficult yep. uh, here than it is in America. But I just think we can make more of an impact here. And look, the fact is we're a British show, man. Yeah, see, and that I, is true. I think a lot of our American audience wouldn't watch us if if we were just like, <laughs> you know, the sixth best Joe Rogan in America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 completely. I, I do understand that. I do understand that. And it, it is a good point to make. I, to me, the pandemic was, is something, look, we did very well out of the pandemic. We all improved ourselves massively. The pandemic helped to create this. It just, seeing what happened to the country that I grew up in, mm. to the people that I identified with, the behavior, the politicians, the rhetoric, it took me back. I understand that. I, I think. The other piece I would maybe add is that you've got to realize that in America, a lot of that was happening at an yeah. even higher level. Yeah. And they went more extreme. In many, of course, in many and the states. Democrats, particularly in blue states like New York, it said. But also, I would say that this is, again, an op like that guy said to you, it's victim mentality. I think this is an opportunity for you to recognize the scale of what we've created yeah. here. You know, people sometimes say to me, Constantine, why don't you run for parliament? And I'm like, because I'd have less influence being an MP yeah. than doing trigonometry. Yeah. And that's true of you too. Yeah. Like, we are one of the biggest independent media shows in this country. Yeah. And, of course, we don't have the ear of government, mm -hmm. uh, but we are helping to shape the way that at least our part of society looks at things and thinks and we're bringing interesting people on. I think, I think... I don't think we'll be leaving is the truth. No, I don't think we'll be leaving either. And that being the case, I think it's time for both of us to, to accept the challenge yeah. that's been thrown down to us. We've created this. A lot of people listen and watch our show, listen to our show and watch it. It's our job to, to, to stand up for what we believe in and to bring on people who we think are doing that. Yeah. You know? And of course, we're always going to give a voice to different views and people who agree with us and people who disagree with us. But I think particularly on this authoritarianism issue, it's our job to be the voice of people who don't want that in their yeah. country. And, and the, the most gratifying comment that you've always said to me, and I agree with this, the, the most gratifying comment you and I receive from people who come up to us in the street or message in or whatever is, you got me through the pandemic. And yeah. part of that was, for a lot of people, hearing that dissident voice yeah. going, no, we're not accepting this. No, this isn't normal. No, this isn't natural. No, it's going too far. Yeah. All the catchphrases. All the catchphrases. But yeah, <laughs> a guy came up to me in the, <laughs> in the shopping mall uh, once. Uh, it was a few months ago now. And he had these three little children yeah. with him. And uh, one of the, for people who don't watch our Raw shows, which is like a 
current affairs daily satirical show that yeah. we do like a live stream every every few, uh, we do the three times a week. Uh, the one of the catchphrases whenever we talked about Jacinda Dern yeah. or uh, particularly her or Australia was like get back get in the camp. You yeah, that was the thing. We're gonna need to bleep out because YouTube. Uh, I said it again. <laughs> YouTube demonetizes any video yeah. with that word in. Uh, and he came up to me and he said, mate, oh, thank you so much. You got us through the pandemic. And then one of these like eight-year-olds went, <laughs> hey, get in the camp. And he was like, he doesn't know the other part of it. <laughs> but my point is, yeah. you know, we contributed to yeah, people. Course. And a lot of people said we kept them sane and whatever. That's our job, man. Yeah. And I, I understand the appeal and there are so many great things about America, but the way I feel about it, look at the studio. The reason the studio exists is partly because we went to America and we saw how people who do what we do in America do it. And they have their own compound where they have a, a nice green room and a place for people to hang out yeah. and a big studio and their own space and they're not moving from residential apartment to residential apartment as we used to do. That's why we've stepped up. And I believe our fans will back us. They will make yeah. it possible for us to carry on doing this. And we gotta, we got to pay them back, man. And I think that's our job. Yeah. You know, that's our mission. That's our project. So I understand the temptation of the United States. I just think we got to take that spirit and bring it here. And it's going to be fucking hard because lots of people in this country don't want that. They don't want the go-get mindset. They don't, they don't want that. They want to, you know, this is the thing that really bothers me so much. Is like so many people in this country just want the government to take care of them. Of course. And, but that's what the pandemic exposed. I know. The but, amount of people I saw on Facebook going, oh, the government have to take care of me. I'm like, <laughs> why? The thing is, there's no such thing as the government. The government is just other people in the country who pay taxes so that you can get what you want. Yeah. That's what it is. There's no yeah. such thing as the government. The government is just the, the entity that administers the money they get from other yeah. citizens. And why do you deserve special treatment? Yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have a welfare state and a safety net to catch people if they fall. And we've all been there yeah. to some extent, you know. But I think we need to... You know, we need to step up, man. Rather yeah. than running away and 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 going, well, I'm I, I am disappointed, and you are mm. with with the way that things happen. But we've got to step up. That's yeah. what I feel. And we we've got to play our part. And you know, we didn't intend. We we started a podcast to understand what was happening in the yeah. world. But now we are a voice for some people. Of course. And we have to we have to do, we have to do right by them. I feel. Um, and so that's why I don't want to leave. I think when we were in America, we talked about it. And look, who knows what the future brings? But I think for the foreseeable future, I feel that it's our job to stay and it's our job to fight. It's our job to fight. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who, who, who start a, a show and, and some of them will have more viewers and more followers and that's fine. Who They just interview celebrities about, you know, what was it like to be depressed and what was it yeah. like to be this and how did you become successful? And those are really interesting things to watch and enjoy. But I think for us, we talked about it being more of a passion project. And that's, I think, how a lot of people experience what we do. It's, it's partly about passion and it's partly about bringing common sense and rational discussion and honest discussion of difficult subjects so that things actually change as a result. You know, we're not just creating entertainment for people to just watch while they make dinner. There's also, 
there's a mission here too. And I, th I think we have a responsibility to, to be true to that. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with all those things. And I think what I was saying when it was about America is just legitimately how I feel yeah. about my disappointment yeah. with, what, with everything that was happening and the political class. But I do agree with you. The reason that we, the reason that we created this show was because we wanted to find out what's going on. And now we're, we're, when we've seen what we've seen and, and what we've experienced, and you see the injustices and you see the things that don't get talked about, but they should be spoken about. And the thing that really annoys me is when people are too scared to have a conversation and to actually be honest and frank about it and how the moment certain subjects pop up, people immediately try and like almost like whack-a-mole, hit them on the head because they don't want to address them. You know, the migrant crisis. Yep. And what happens is then people start talking, they just start saying narratives, things like, you know, these people are desperate and they've come over here and, you know, every person, no person is illegal, whatever it may be, and that we should look after these people. And you go, well, look, on one level, of course, you are right. But that's not how real life works. That's not how you have a functioning country. That's not, you're not even doing the right by these people by doing that. All their countries. All their countries. And all you're doing is facilitating organized crime. But if you're not prepared to have the conversation, then you're not prepared to actually try and come to some kind of solution. And that's what I think that the most important thing that we do is, is to model respectful conversation. About right-wing talking points. <laughs> exactly. Because, the only, because by doing that, that's the only way you're going to come to a solution. That's the only way you're going to be able to solve these particular issues. And there are several examples where you can tell that that has absolutely been the case. I mean, if you look at the issue of grooming gangs, mm -hmm. the episode that we've done that I'm most proud of, and I always say this, is with Ella Hill. Yeah. Um, I think she's an extraordinary woman, and that episode that we did with her is an extraordinary episode. Yeah. I mean, we're talking to a survivor of gang rape and abuse over a long period of time. And it's funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that and that, that's all credit to her, by the way, because yeah. she was brilliant. That's why when we were on Joe Rogan, it was one of the first things that we talked about because, yeah. you know, I, I knew it was going to come up one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you got in there with the, uh, <laughs> early with the pedo banter. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it needs talking about. And look where we are now. Yeah. Now everyone accepts that the grooming gangs happened. Now everyone accepts that it needs to be dealt with. Now everyone accepts it's a big problem. I'm not saying we did that. We didn't do that. There were many, many more people who campaigned about it. But people like Ella and others. And so whether it's the transgender issue, whether it's the migrant crisis, whether it's... The, and there'll be, you know, people say, well, these are right-wing. There'll be left-wing points of as well that we've covered on the show. You know, our episode with Julie Bindle, for example, right? Um, the The... These things, you know, the first man through the breach always takes most of the arrows, but for whatever reason, you and I want to be that first man, mm. you know, or maybe we don't want to be, we just feel a duty to be yeah. to some extent. Uh, not saying we're first on any issues before people get carried away, but we, we, we feel it's our duty to address the things that people don't want to talk about that need talking about. Well, the whole point of trigonometry is that you're going to the eye of the storm. Mm. That's the whole point of it. And that's what people want from us, is to go into the eye of the storm and to talk about these big contentious issues that people are too scared to talk about, that politicians, when they go on the question time, they will give empty platitudes. 
because nobody really wants to talk about the truth of the subject, whatever the subject may be. And that's really our job. Yeah. Well, speaking of question time, you reminded me that there's actually been a lot of personal accolades that you and I both have achieved this year, stuff going on. You, you've just had a tour and yeah. you, you're about, to, I mean, by the time this is out, you will have finished your dates and other things going on. What have you re really enjoyed this year? I've really enjoyed, and this is going to sound wanky, I've really enjoyed the journey of it. I've really, gay. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't agree with it. It's not natural. Um, I've really enjoyed the journey of it. I've enjoyed where we started from. Hmm. The, you know, the, the... I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's important. It's really, you know, I always... When I, I remember when I started comedy and I was working with comedians, they were always like going, I can't wait to, to get off the open mic and I get on to do bigger gigs. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want to be here. And I was always, my attitude was always like, no, you should enjoy this. You should, you should remember this. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be able to appreciate what's gone and what is coming. You're not. Think about the first interview we ever did where there was a beeping car alarm and we had to run around and then the person was furious because it turns out they'd come from a funeral. And then we had to, our first ever interview started with me giving a groveling apology. You could argue that's the way it's been for the rest of, it, of time, but you need to go through those experiences. You need to go through the being asked to leave studios. You need to be going through, you know, the arguments. You need to go through- no, I, I agree with you, but it was fucking hard. It was hard. And I, I was looking at our stats the other day because a, a friend of ours started a YouTube channel uh, and we we did 11 interviews, yeah. including with Brendan O'Neill, yeah. Claire Fox yeah. and Diana Fleischman. Yeah. And we'd been going for two months. Yeah. And we hadn't even got 500 subscribers. Yeah. But that's how hard it was. It was really hard. And at this point, we're paying our own money. Yeah. There's no guarantee of success. Of course. We're fucking going from studio to studio. It was brutal. It was brutal. But we had to go through it. I agree. If we had... I didn't enjoy it, though. No, 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 no. But you did. You did. Do you remember when we first went to the Soho Theatre to watch Andrew's show and Diana Fleischman broke 20,000 views? How excited we were. Yeah. And you went to me, it's not always going to be like this. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to temper your expectations. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember walking out of that interview with Brendan and being like, oh, this was brilliant? Or when Sargon came and then we had that rush of subs and we got to three and a half thousand? Do you remember that? Yeah, that was big. I remember Those... you shitting yourself when interviewing Sargon. Yeah, of course I did. Because I saw my career disappearing in front of my eyes. Correct. Do you remember when we went to that conference and then we first met Douglas Murray and then we interviewed him? And then the, the interview got cut short, not for technical reasons, but because the cleaner wanted to come and clean and she had to kick us out. It wasn't the cleaner, oh. actually. It was a woman who had booked the room for oh, something right. else. Yeah. But you assumed she was a the cleaner. cleaner, exactly. Because yeah, she was a woman. <laughs> and... It was tough, but there was joy there. There was a there's a famous yeah we you know there was a band Nirvana and there was a the lead singer was called Kurt Cobain. Even I've heard of them. Yeah, and on his guitar, 
he always had a sticker which said, the beauty is the struggle. And it is. Because that's what makes you appreciate it. And the moments when you're in the struggle, that's what forges you. That's what makes you tough, the fire. It's not the easy part. It's not going on Rogan. It's not... I mean, look, America was great, but why was it so good? The reason it was so good well, is because we, we started in a pub. Yeah. No one gave us anything. No. And we went from that to there. And if people had given us things and it was, it wouldn't have been as sweet. Mm. We had to do that. Yeah. It's only by having that do you, do you get the joy. Not, and even in those tough, tough moments, there were still moments of joy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I have to say, though, I enjoy my life a lot more now, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's been, you know, in, obviously my son being born and all that, but it was the year, it was the year that I was on Question Time. Yeah. Uh, my book was a Sunday Times bestseller. I mean, it's embarrassing how few books you have to sell to get on that <laughs> list. It really is. And as I realize now, no one makes any money uh, selling books, basically, unless you, you, you become like, even if you're a Sunday Times bestseller, not particularly. Yeah. But, but it's, it's still an, an accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, and it hasn't gone out yet, and I can't wait for it to go out, but I, I did a debate mm. at Oxford Union, and uh, I did, let's, just, let's just say I didn't hold back. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to that coming yeah. out. So those were really exciting moments for me this year. In addition to, obviously, the America trip going on Rogan, uh, interviewing some of the guests uh, that we've interviewed over the course of the last year, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, this studio is 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 the big big next step. Yeah, the big next step, uh, and it's a risk. You know, we 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 went we've jumped uh, perhaps a little bit further than than we ought to have done if we were being prudent. But yeah. uh, I think I, I think and hope that our ambition will be rewarded. You know? I think it will be rewarded. I think it will be rewarded because. Ultimately, you need to overreach yourselves at times because it's only by doing that can you actually get to the next level. And a lot of the time, you need to make that leap. And the, we were forced to make that leap. So Yeah, but we didn't have to do this. We didn't have to build our own studio from the ground up, basically, because this was just one empty room, and now it's a studio and with a green room and an office area and whatever. But we wanted to do it because we saw that we did have to do it. Why? Because... We didn't have to move here. We could have moved to another flat. No, but we did, we did have to do it because it was what was needed. So we had to do it. What I'm saying is we could have played it, we could have played it safe. When have we ever played it safe? That's a good question. We haven't. The whole point of trigonometry is that you never play it safe. You just don't. If we played it safe, none of this would exist. It's true. The podcast wouldn't exist. The show wouldn't exist. Nothing that we ever did was about playing it safe. That's why it succeeded, because you don't succeed by playing it safe. Yeah, it's true. Well, I hope we carry that on then, uh, because you know, we've got a lot of work and we've got some uh, already got some brilliant guests lined up for, for next year. Um, we've got to finish the studio. We've got to get the neons mm, up. We, yeah. we, there's lots of stuff that we've yet to do. But we've already recorded some great interviews in here too. We've um, some brilliant interviews. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to next year? I'm looking forward to, I should have mentioned my tour. I love my tour. I love meeting the trigonometry fans. That was so fun. I did the feedback that I got from people, the gigs that we did, 
And I say we did because the audience is always 50%. <laughs> Wanky shit. Not true. <laughs> but they always are. And I couldn't have asked for better audiences. They were great. And I'm looking forward to doing more comedy. I'm looking forward to... I'm going to be doing more shows next year. I'm going to be doing some more of my tour. I'm going to do it in cities like Glasgow. I'm going to be going up to the Northwest. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. I'm really looking forward to doing more comedy and just being and getting a chance to be more creative. Mm. That's what I'm looking forward to, really, because like you, I've, we've just been so focused on this, making this the very best it can be. So actually, just taking some more time just to get back to being creative, which was always my first love anyway. Mm. I'm really looking forward to it. Have yeah, I? that's exciting, man. That's really great for you. Yeah. And I think it's really important because Raw is a great comedic outlet for yeah. you, but you always love stand-up. Yeah. There's nothing like it. I it's... disagree, but you you think that way. Yeah, and yeah. So that's what matters. It's because you've forgotten. No. Yeah, no. you have. I haven't. I was... you, you and I have done live shows. We did a live show. We did two live shows in Edinburgh. Yeah, but it's not stand-up. I, I, I just think we're, we're very different people psychologically. Yeah. I think you really crave that attention and love from the audience and I never really cared about yeah. the audience. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. It's like I think it was either Bill Hicks or George Carlin it, it, when he was getting heckled. Uh, he, he said to the heckler, they're here for me and I am too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that was always, I mean, maybe it's slightly psychopathic, but uh, I, 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 I always wanted to get away from a gig yeah. the moment I was done. I never really wanted to meet audiences. With our shows, I do. Yeah, yeah. Because they're trigonometry fans, but at stand up, I never really wanted yeah. to do that. I did it when I was doing my own show a little bit, and it was fun, but yeah. I never really felt that desire. But I think you really like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's important. That's why to you, stand up is so special. To me, that's why I don't do it anymore. If it was that special to me, I'd find a way to do it. Yeah. But I, I don't. You know, I'm much more excited about my Substack than I am about ever doing stand up again. Yeah. Like, I am really enjoying writing. And the book showed me that writing books is not the way to go. Uh, it doesn't mean I won't do another book at some point if I feel like I really want to get something substantive out there. But my Substack is really exciting to me. Yeah. I'm writing articles all the time. I get to express my opinion. And because, you know, I used to write for various newspapers, and, and um, but now I can write about whatever I want. I don't have to tie it to a current news event. Not everything has to be, you know, look over here. You know, I can I can write about something more more significant or something that happened three years ago that I think is relevant to today or put things in context in a way that you'd never get an opportunity to. And I really enjoy writing. I always have done. So I'm I'm really uh, excited about that. In addition, but but the thing is, we've got gigantic plans for trigonometry. Yep. Uh, not only the America trips, but also the guests that we're going to get here and all sorts of other stuff that we'll we'll be talking about next year. And you know, uh, one of the things we realized is that we need to improve our social media and community management game on locals. Um, we're also getting to the point where Roy's getting so big that, frankly, given the outrageous shit that we say <laughs> on there, that we need to consider paywalling that or paywalling most of that. Not not because we want to, you know, make more money from it, just because we, we're eventually going to get attacked for... You know, people, we don't live in a world where people understand jokes anymore. No. And the stuff that we say on there is all done with tongue in cheek with humor, but all it takes is for some twat from The Guardian to clip it out of context. 
and suddenly we find ourselves in the middle of having to explain why we wear a Nazi hat on and do, do the Nazi voice <laughs> for a joke, yeah. right? Um, so it may be the case that we put out shorter clips on YouTube after the Raw is done or it goes on local, whatever. We'll work it out. But, you know, there's going to be interesting things going on and, and changes happening, which people always love. They love yeah. change, don't they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> Especially like when we just swap seats. Yeah. People have a meltdown when we change seats, so let's see what happens when we change other stuff around. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm really excited for next year. Um, and I also feel like we, we had a Christmas party a couple of days ago and having most, and unfortunately couldn't get everyone here, um, but most of the people, I think, had so much fun and they, you know, our team loves being here. They love working on the show um, and it's exciting building that with them as well. It is. It is. It's so invigorating building this. It's really... Seeing this come together is honestly one of the most gratifying things that we've done because what we're doing is we're taking a step into the unknown. Yeah. And it's scary. But it's the only way to live. Because On the edge. <laughs> <laughs> of your bank balance, yeah. <laughs> literally. But because if you play it safe, if you do what everybody else has done, then you're never really going to be truly successful. No, and, but you're also not being true to yourself. Yeah. I, I don't think being like everyone else has ever been what either of us has wanted. No. That's why we do this. Yeah. You know. Man, it's been a it's been an incredible year, and you know that that growth that we're constantly going through is addictive. You know? It is addictive, and you know what? Because when I when we came back from America, there was various personal things. It was quite a tough time. It was a tough time for me, and the thing that I realised, and look, it's a truism, and everyone knows it, but it, sometimes you need a good. You need to go through a tough time in order to appreciate it. You learn far more when things aren't going well, both about other people and yourself, than you ever do when things are going well. Because when things are going well, you know, it's, you don't have to really look at yourself. You don't really have to think to your, think about you know your your actions or your behavior or your manner of being, all of these things. But when things are going uh, tough, that's the moment. And actually, if you, you're prepared to take on those lessons, you come out a lot stronger and a lot better, even though the process of learning those lessons is not pleasant. Yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, you had various personal things with family and, uh, you know, you and I are always trying to work out the best way for yeah. us and sometimes that we argue and it's difficult yeah. and painful and whatever. But the, the thing that I've really learned this year is that, look, I, I've always been a driven person and I've always been successful in the things that I've done. Uh, I, I'm not saying I've always been super, I haven't, I haven't been super wealthy, but if I've done something, I've done it well and yeah. I've had success in it. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to be arrogant. Um, and so I think when, you know, trigonometry goes well and I've got this book and I, I've got this and I've got that and everything's going great, it, it's easy to think in that moment that, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And I've, but the truth is that the, the biggest lesson for me out of recent years and out of doing this is 
if you want to do something meaningful, you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. You know, and uh, you've really taken this. You know, I remember, I hope you don't mind me telling the story, but the first time that I said to you, let's do this podcast. And you were like, okay, let's do it. And I said, okay, cool. I've got some contacts uh, that I'll get some people on. And then I came in and I was like, okay, I've got, I've got Pippa Malmgren, who's a former presidential advisor to two US presidents. And you looked at me, I thought, I thought your ass was going to fall out. Like you were terrified. Yeah. Right. But you've stepped up so much yeah. and you've grown so much. We, we all have, of course. Yeah. But for you especially, I think coming from a pure comedy background, this was a big shift. And... You, you know, doing the admin that comes with trigonometry was a challenge for you and, and you've really done incredibly well, even though it, it wasn't always easy for you, you know. Um, and likewise, I mean, think about, like, this, this studio being built. Anton, who is our producer, the, he came, he joined trigonometry <laughs> to edit the audio and the video, yeah. right? And he basically has just overseen construction of a tens of thousands of pounds project by himself in the middle of dealing with you and I having COVID and him having, he was, he had flu and all this other shit. Yeah. And he's just completed this. And we've got, you know, Elliot, who's our intern, barely gets any money yeah. and he's created this amazing vlogs and he's helping Anton yeah. and Sophie and our other video. I don't know if she wants to be named. They've stepped up their game yeah. in terms of the content that we put out and Harmon is doing a great job. And, you know, Sean, our image, like everyone, mm is really working their asses off to make the show what it is. And we've got other people who are going to be hopefully joining, you know, helping us improve other bits. And that's that's what I've realized for me is I've, I've always been a lone wolf in my yeah. life. But working with you and working with our team has shown me, you can be a lone wolf. I, I'm good at what I do. I, I could, if I wanted to, you know, if we could pack trigonometry and I could go and write and do do whatever, I'd be fine. But if you wanted to create something actually meaningful, you need to do it with other people. Absolutely. It's, it's the old lesson. It's, you need the band. Mm. You need the band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what it is. And we're the band. We've got a great band here. And we've got a great band. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking part. Thank you for sending super chats. Thank you for supporting us. We couldn't have done it without you. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.